Welcome or welcome back to Lift You Up, inspiring health stories. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham. I'm the founder and chief storyteller of TB Media Group. But for the purpose of this podcast, I am your health and happiness matchmaker. Now, before I introduce you to today's guests, you know what I'm going to ask you to do. Hit subscribe on YouTube, turn on those notifications and connect with me on LinkedIn because I'd love to stay connected with you. Well, today is love day. Happy Valentine's Day, everybody. And since this happened to fall on a Monday, the day that we release our new podcast episodes, I figured we would talk about the topic, but also bring on a South Florida nonprofit, the Unicorn Children's Foundation, which deals with autism here in South Florida. We're talking to two members affiliated with the organization, and they actually are telling us about a course they have called Dating and Relationships 101 for Adults with Autism. You're also going to hear from an adult with autism who received a late diagnosis at age 24 what her experience has been like from dating and life. Our physical, mental, and emotional health is not just a want. It is a need for happy lives and prosperous businesses. Lift You Up is the podcast where we share inspiring health stories from business owners who are fulfilling their purpose to live their healthiest lives and helping you do the same. From former TV reporter to marketing entrepreneur and content creator, I care about sharing stories that matter and stories that connect us. I'm your host, Tamika Bickham, your health and wellness matchmaker. Well, today I'm so excited to meet for the first time Allie and Katie. Hi, ladies. Welcome to the show. Hey there. <laughs> and today we're here to talk about Unicorn Children's Foundation. So without further ado, I'll actually first start by having each of you introduce yourselves. Tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do. Allie, I'll start with you. All right. I'm Allie Nyman. I'm a licensed clinical social worker based here in South Florida. And I work for my own company, which is called Remarkable. And we do all different types of disability services and virtual programming for young adults with all types of special needs. And we have a beautiful partnership with the Unicorn Children's Foundation, where we are lucky enough to be able to, my partner and I, when I say we, are lucky enough to be able to teach some really amazing classes and skills-based, enrichment-based, all types of fun stuff. And that's really our passion. And that's why we started Remarkable, so that we could have these types of partnerships with Unicorn Children's Foundation and other agencies where we can really serve the community and really create a bigger community and a real sense of community within um, you know, people who have special needs and disabilities and all different types of things. And um, I have a background in social work. I have a background in therapy. I have my own private practice. So I have a lot of different uh, hats that I wear. And then we have started our class called Dating and Relationships 101, which is probably my biggest passion and something that's been a huge dream of mine since I started in this field, which is to bring connections and help people who struggle with love, romance, and dating, you know, really find their way. Mm, I love that. We're going to definitely dive more into that. Um, Katie, tell us a little bit more about you. Hi, um, my name is Katie Santoro. I'm 26 years old, 
and I currently work at Cardinal Health and I'm an autism advocate and I'm very happy to finally have found employment because often adults with autism struggle to find employment and they struggle with like our topic today, dating and relationships. And I'm also serving as the junior board president uh, at the Unicorn Children's Foundation. Wonderful. Yeah, and I'm glad you bring up that point um, about employment because um, through my experience working um, in the autism space, I think, um, and update me if this statistic is wrong, but 80 to 90% of um, adults with autism are either unemployed or underemployed. Um, which, you know, through some other programs that I've seen in South Florida, you know, are certainly trying to help improve that situation. So i um, super glad to have both of you here because, um, you know, I feel like over the last, you know, maybe 10, 15 years, so much more research and information has come out about autism, whereas, you know, I've talk, spoken to parents who 20 years ago just didn't have the information and resources and, and feeling lost. And now it's like we can just have so much more open conversations around autism um, that's just beneficial for everyone. So, um, Ali, I want to go back to a point or ask you a little bit more about you because you mentioned your background um, in social work therapy. Um, why did you or how did you end up specifically choosing this path um, with working with those with autism? Absolutely. So I went to um, undergrad at University of Florida. And while I was there, I was a psychology major. I knew I wanted to be a helper. I knew I wanted to be in that field, but I really didn't have my own specialty. And I took a course in behavior analysis. So that was where I had my first experience with kind of learning a little bit more about developmental disabilities since it's, you know, a lot of studies are in, you know, in ABA are about special needs and disabilities and autism specifically. So I was actually paired up with a grad student at the time. I was able to work on some of her studies and to help her, you know, in the lab and through her, I really got a lot of experience with, uh, you know, younger people who had autism and I loved it. And I, you know, she said, I want you to keep working for me. And I said, well, I have to have another, I need a job. I can't just, you know, work for free in the grad lab. So she actually helped me get a job with a local behavior analysis company. And I was able to work in Gainesville in that community. And that's really where I started connecting with people who have special needs. And it just, it was just a fit. It was just right. I just knew that that was who I was meant to work with. Um, but I didn't really want to do it as much from the behavioral perspective. I like more of the mental health therapy and, you know, the, uh, the really like the emotional connection piece. And mm -hmm. it's interesting, like you said, you know, in terms of, you know, dating, so much has changed. But at the same time, so many parents don't know that or, you know, are still it's still a little taboo or a little confusing, mm. you know, like, is my kid going to date? Is my adult child who, you know, has autism or has, you know, special needs going to be able to, you know, have a relationship? And a lot of people think, oh, you know, maybe they aren't interested or maybe they, you know, don't have that, you know, same desire. And, you know, it's just so interesting that really a lot of people still just don't realize that this is something that's it's happening. You know, people are out there. People are connecting more than ever, especially with, you know, the Internet and social media. And, um, you know, people we realize everybody wants, you know, something. And there's plenty of people who have special needs that want to date and have 
you know, love lives and marriages and, you know, families and all types of things. I had a conversation on this podcast with Shelly Bear. I'm not sure if you're familiar with her. She was behind the Bold Beauty Project, which was um, having models with disabilities pose for, um, uh, you know, uh, an art uh, exhibit. And I know Shelly. I worked with Shelly. Oh, I love awesome. uh, at the Mailman Center yes, for yes. Uh, a, a, a disability advocate training program called the SALT. SALT program at the Mailman Center. I, I love her because she really opened my eyes a lot to that and just broke down something that like, if it's not you, you're not thinking about, but like, uh, and I'll link to that that episode below too if anyone's listening to this, but she actually does, I don't know if it's courses or something or talks around those with disabilities and sexuality because she's like, um, we are sexual beings too. Like there's, there's nothing different. Like you're still a, a human being like everyone else who wants and desires the same things. And oftentimes people don't think about that. Um, Katie, I wanted to kind of go back to you and your story a little bit more. Um, I know you mentioned you're, you're 26 now. Yeah. Um, and you received a late diagnosis of autism at 24. Um, tell me what, tell me about going through that process. What prompted you to even kind of search for that answer? Um, and how did it feel receiving the news? So I think as far as receiving the news of the diagnosis, there's a little bit of you that goes through the kind of stages of grief. And also it's, it's very validating and it's a relief because I needed those answers. I needed certain doors to open to access services such as Unicorn Children's Foundation and University of Miami Center for Autism. And those were services that were really helpful, especially for, you know, uh, dating, services at the Unicorn Children's Foundation or services with employment at CARD. And as far as what prompted me to get the diagnosis is that a therapist that I was seeing in college, she saw some signs of autism in me uh, two years prior to even telling me. She felt it was not important enough to tell me because maybe I had maxed out all services that would have been available to me or I was functioning just fine because I'm very low support needs, which proved to be incorrect. And I struggled greatly with employment and just overall transition to adulthood. Yeah, so mostly employment and school related challenges and transitioning uh, services. what were some of those challenges when you say that you were struggling? Um, I was struggling with like my classes and, you know, uh, I, I, I uh, went through some mental health challenges, um, you know, where I just had a lot of anxiety. And it's funny when you don't have an autism diagnosis, but you innately have this sense of like dread transitioning to adulthood. Like, oh, I just know, like in my heart of hearts that like, the working world, like how am I going to fit myself into employment? Uh, I just knew that I was different, and I didn't know how what to call that. I didn't know how to, you know, get support. So that the autism diagnosis really opened up all of that support that I needed. It sounds like it was a relief. Yeah, it was a relief. Um, So essentially, yeah, there was just a lot of challenges um, and I I was losing a lot of jobs. And now the the success story of that is that I 
you know, got services. I, I got the diagnosis. And once I got the diagnosis, I, I got services through vocational rehabilitation. And I worked a temporary job at uh, Jewish family home care, like scanning papers. And then that was just a, a door that opened so many opportunities because I met people in, you know, over there, I made connections and I now work at Cardinal Health, which is a very inclusive company. And I love their diversity, equity and inclusion initiatives that they have over here. So I work in an office as like a support personnel. So now I really feel like I'm included. And it's really important to note that having uh, people with autism love routine um, a lot of the time. And so having that like nine to five job and being able to go to the office every day really gives me a sense of accomplishment and makes me feel like I'm a contributing member of society. And that boosts my self-esteem and really self-esteem is so important to mental health and overall well-being. So I have really, you know, gone from having a lot of mental health challenges and needing an autism diagnosis to overcome all of those challenges and get the supports mm. that I needed to having the diagnosis, having the supports, and my life has just blossomed since getting the diagnosis. So I feel like as far as women who are verbal and you hear them talk for five minutes and you're like, wow, how could you struggle? You don't know what's underneath the surface and you, you know, th they might just have really strong verbal skills, but the autism is a spectrum. So there's other things besides verbal skills. There's, you know, executive functioning and how can I keep my apartment clean or do I need support to come into my apartment and help me how do I read social cues and how do does reading social cues affect my ability to perhaps date? Sometimes I wish I like guys just walked around with, you know, a, a whiteboard where if they're interested <laughs> in the bar, they write on the whiteboard like, hey, want to come talk to me or I want to <laughs> date you. Uh, and they can I hold that up that and it's too. a big sign and it's like, I'm interested in you because that would make it so much easier if it was written down and I could see it and I don't have to read a social cue like, uh, you know, you're, you're nudging your shoulder my way or whatever the <laughs> hidden social cues are. I don't know. That's why it took me uh, so long to start dating. All my peers started dating in middle, middle and high school and well, I, I didn't have my first boyfriend until I was 25. And in fact, he was on the autism spectrum and I never would have met him had I not gotten my autism diagnosis and started receiving the support services like the classes at Unicorn Children's Foundation. They offer dating classes. And I think that's really amazing and teaches a lot of the skills that we struggle with on the autism spectrum. So I'm I'm glad that you 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 set up the perfect transition there to talk about the dating classes because at the time of this episode being released it is Valentine's Day very much so a holiday a holiday all about dating relationships and um, those type of intimate relationships so um, kind of throw it back to Ali to talk more about those dating classes which I know you mentioned is dating and relationships 101 when did this start how did this start tell me more about it I mean I feel like it's been a dream in the making for like 15 years already probably I mean you wow. know since that you know first experience that I had because when I was working with people with disabilities when I was in Gainesville working in the behavioral part of it um, there was a place there where I was working with people who were all adults one of the jobs that I got and with the adults within that community 
everybody was in a relationship almost and they all really you know and people all different types of support needs all different types of you know disabilities all different types of you know um diagnosis whatever it might be almost every person or you know people wanted some sort of a connection and this one's my boyfriend and this one's my girlfriend and it seems you know so unique to you know autism that oh you know i can't read social cues or i don't understand these things but i have always struggled with those things you know just in general and i find that the majority of people do you know dating doesn't come easily and naturally to everybody and i felt the same way a lot of times in middle school and high school even you know without having a disability or a diagnosis you know there's a lot of times where it's just confusing and the one thing that i also really realized especially within the special needs and um, disability population is that we you know find we watch a lot of movies and we love disney but the thing is is that we don't live in a disney movie life is not a fairy tale you know, oh, I not, see how that connects in there. We're, we're not Cinderella, you know, and so many people come in thinking that that like, you know, like Katie said, that that's how it's going to happen. Like, you know, it's going to be like a sign like this is it. This is, you know, yes. your, your knight in shining armor coming for your happily ever after. And that's that one of the nice? things we talk about in every <laughs> class is that is not really how it works. And I um, met my partner, Samantha Setter who we started Remarkable together. And that was one of our dreams when we started is we really want to help people in the dating and relationships, you know, category as well as a lot of other different, you know, parts. Um, so, you know, we decided we want to start this class. We spoke to, you know, uh, Carrie at the Unicorn Children's Foundation. She was so supportive of the idea. They let us, you know, really start it there. And um, we have done about five sessions now they're six week sessions and we go through everything from, you know, just this, you know, the basic steps of, you know, how do I know if someone's interested, you know, the social cues, um, the different levels of dating, you know, kind of just what's the difference between, you know, I have a crush versus I want to go on a date with this person and this is a relationship. So kind of differentiating between casual dating, you know, people, want to talk about, you know, what about my disability? Do, do I disclose if I have a disability, if I'm, you know, dating? Everyone does experience, or I'd say almost everyone probably does experience some degree of challenges in their dating life. But, and either one of you, can you explain maybe some of the additional challenges that come when dating uh, with autism? I know that Ali was talking about, you know, questions in the class that they deal with you know do i date other people with disabilities like if i have autism should i only date within the autism community or should i broaden my horizons and be open to you know dating people with autism and dating people who are neurotypical uh, in my case i first thought that since my first boyfriend had autism that maybe that was my only option like i should only date other people with autism so i've also went through that and then uh, when that didn't work out, that was like a year long relationship, my first one, I thought, oh boy, like maybe I, you know, won't have another relationship again. I, that was, I just got lucky. Um, but then to my surprise, only a few months later, uh, I live in a very social community in downtown Fort Lauderdale and I, I started seeing my neighbor 
and he was neurotypical and i was like whoa my 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 world has my horizons have broadened like my world is opening like i could date a neurotypical no way so i think that the answer to what ali was saying is that you know yeah just be open you know um you never know um but then in in the case with dating the neurotypical person he said that i really struggled with you know knowing like what casual dating is and like serious relationships uh he said that we were moving like too fast and i was like how where do where do you draw the line there like what are the rules like do the where is the manual because there is no manual mm -hmm. people with autism generally may really like to rely on kind of like a rule book per se i often call my mom and i'm asking her like what are the rules and how do i know and she's like it just depends and i like predictability so that gets kind of frustrating in the class that we do at unicorn children's foundation we did um, actually for one of the sessions make a guidebook together so we actually oh made our own rule book where we did definitions so that we knew all the different terms and terminology because there's just so many different words that we use when it comes to dating and flirting and crushes and relationships and i like you and you know all that kind of stuff and um we did everything from you know different steps of relationships kind of like the ladder you know to differentiate and then we also have certain rules that we teach so like you know certain social rules and, and you know certain things that you know, but it's very hard because like Katie said, there's no hard and fast rules. Right. I mean, I think ultimately and I've, I have definitely been there myself. Right. As far as like there's there's no rule for any of it. But I guess it really just comes down to no matter who you are, communication, because Katie, I could agree with you as well. Like I have such a close relationship with my mom. She I mean, she could meet a guy I'm going on a first date with. I don't care. It's not a big deal to me. It might be a big deal to that person that I'm going out with. So it's just kind of saying, hey, this is what I'm comfortable with. Are you comfortable with this? I think communication has probably got to be a big part of any relationship. And that's why we really try to talk about that communication piece is what should you be talking about, you know, before when you're first getting to know them? What should you be talking about on a first date? You know, how much should you get into in the first few conversations? Yeah. You know, how can you judge if you like the person or if the conversation's going well? So there's a lot about that and just communication in terms of, you know, just making sure that you're paying attention and that you're really listening, that you're not staring at your phone. I mean, once again, things that are universal, you know, for all of us, but, um, you know, just those reminders of really listening and asking questions about the other person instead of just, you know, applying it to your life, you know, because maybe I'm free and I'm waiting for this person to call me, but they might be busy. They might be at yeah. work or they might, you know, be the type that, you know, if they say we're meeting on Saturday, we're meeting on Saturday, we don't need to confirm that. And it's hard to know, you know, it's for me, I had the same things. Do I confirm? Am I waiting? What do I do? But with time, you start to kind of figure those things out. And I think one of the things that really helps um, outside of just teaching about the communication is that there's a level of support in the group so mm -hmm. the you know the members talk amongst each other about their experiences and give each other different ideas of what's okay and what's not okay and how to kind of you know see things from other perspectives and um, that's a really big part of it so we've had people in the group who you know just come because they want to learn about dating we have people who are actively looking to date we have people that are already in relationships that just want to talk more about that there really is just a lot of how do I talk to the person and really learning how to listen to.
in a book that I recently uh, read, I got for Christmas, which was like dating for, you know, introverts. Um, it said, don't ask too many questions. Like you don't want to be like an interview person. Like you're not, you know, you don't want to be like, you know, a million questions so, so that it's just like, they're you just feel like they're being interviewed. Uh, and I, I also am quite, you know, and not, not sharing too much on the first date. I'm also quite guilty, uh, of being an overshare, which is sometimes common. And some women with autism who, you know, have the verbal skills that I do, I'm very guilty of oversharing the poor people who sit next to me on the plane, especially when I was younger. Oh, geez. And, um, yeah. And also like, you know, um, about, you know, if you're, if you it's Wednesday and then the guy says, Oh, like, let's meet up this weekend. And, you know, when to check in on that, because um, they already said they're meeting up. But, you know, sometimes people with autism want to ask the same question multiple times. And if, uh, especially if you don't disclose your diagnosis to the person that you're dating, that might be like, they might not really understand that. You know, we already said we're meeting on Saturday. Why do you need that reassurance, like, again and again? I want to ask on that point, because I know both of you have touched on this uh, briefly about disclosing. Um, and how soon do you do that in the dating process? Katie, since you just mentioned that, like, what's your level of comfort? And then Alia, I'll ask you about that. As far as my first boyfriend, it, we knew at the time of our first date that, well, that he had autism and I had autism because we had met through, uh, you know, the unicorn children's foundation. Um, so, and then as far as, um, the second guy that I dated who was neurotypical, he was my neighbor. So there was no upfront like, hey, I have autism. He didn't know. So I kind of waited a few weeks and then I did, um, I took him to a local group beach volleyball date. So we played some beach volleyball and then, you know, I brought, you know, a bottle of wine in a little picnic basket and a little blanket. And I put the blanket out like, you know, on the ocean and like I sat, sat there with him and then it was, you know, made it like really, really romantic. And I kind of told him, you know, like, hey, like I have something I want to tell you and like I have autism. And he didn't really know much about autism. I said, you know, does, does that change anything? And he said, oh, like, not really. I mean, it changes some things, but not really. And I, I don't really think that he understood. I often wonder if that relationship would have lasted longer uh, had I maybe disclosed later or not disclosed at all. I don't think really not disclosing at all is truly an option because if you're going to end up living with someone, trust me, they are going to find out that you have a disability. I know that, you know, just through my experience in college and having roommates and being an undiagnosed autistic woman that my roommates uh, in my sorority house knew that that there was something quirky about me. They actually said, like, do you have a disability? And I was like, I think I do, but I really don't know what it is. Um, mm -hmm. So so, yeah, so that's why I think that disclosure is important and it, it needs to happen at some point. And maybe when you disclose, I suppose that is up to your level of comfort and up to you to decide when the time is right for you. Hmm. And Ali, how do you address maybe that question when it comes up in your class? Right. So absolutely. I agree with what Katie just said in terms of it comes down to comfort. You know, you have to do things, you know, just like anything with dating in general, you have to do it on your time when you're ready, when you're comfortable. So we don't want to create a rule once again around if you're dating someone, you have to tell them every, you know, diagnosis and every condition you have. You know, and like we say, we don't want to tell too much, you know, on in a first date. But for some people, that's a big part of their identity or that's something that they're 
you know, like they're very open about and that's a big part of them. So it really depends on your personality. But I think at the end of the day, it's not about when, because, you know, that's going to be in your time and we can always talk about how to do that and, you know, what the best way is to go about it, you know, so that you can kind of maybe know what questions they might want to ask or know how to explain what that means to someone who probably doesn't understand. But at the same time, you know, I really think that it's important to disclose it because just like anything else in dating, people are going to see who you are and whether they know that you have that label or not, they're going to, you know, you're the person that's there. And if they're not, if they're going to be that freaked out by you saying, you know, oh, I have autism or I have, you know, a special need or a disability, then that's probably not going to work out in the long term. They're just not the right person for you if that's the case, you know, like you want someone to accept you for your whole true self. And if, so honestly, maybe, you know, at your own comfort level and at, you know, your own time, but maybe earlier is better because I wouldn't want to see someone waste, you know, a whole year or something, you know, with someone who is just as soon as they disclose going to say, oh, that doesn't work for me. Mm, absolutely. So th this has been really great. I want to um, leave on, on one question for both of you. Um, what do you think is the biggest misconception about people with autism and what would you want um, those who are, I guess, neurotypical to know? At least in my case, um, you know, as an undiagnosed autistic woman, I think that people think that people with autism may not be um, outgoing, may not want to be involved in social activities. I mean, I was in a sorority and I joined a sorority undiagnosed autistic um, because I figured, well, that's probably where the friends are. I mean, because it was going to have structured outings and I kn knew I needed that structure. And that's how, um, you know, the girls were not always kind, but I did make two very good friends and for the most part, pretty much enjoyed it. And um, yeah, and also that, you know, um, we're, you know, I have very strong verbal skills. And I think that that's one of the things that really people looked at and they said, oh, she can't have autism, um, you know, because of the misconceptions around autism. They didn't look at the full picture. And, um, you know, I, I, I love to talk like that. Maybe people with autism are quiet and I, I'm a chronic oversharer. Um, like an open book, you can just ask me anything. I'll probably tell you. Um, so, you know, so yeah. Yeah. And I think Katie's the perfect example of, you know, a mis of, you know, exactly that, you know, of, of, and that's what I think the biggest misconception is we don't know what autism looks like. It doesn't have a, you know, there's no description yeah. of what you're going to find when you come across someone with autism. And now the spectrum has gotten so large that, we don't know who's where. So really, you know, just like Katie was saying, you could be talking to someone who might not even be diagnosed or might go their entire life without being diagnosed, even though maybe they did really, you know, fit on the spectrum somewhere. And they, at the end of the day, we're all people. Everybody's got something that they're looking for or something that they want. And it's just about realizing that even people who have disabilities and autism are still people still just like us want to have relationships want to form connections i think there's a big misconception in the autism community that people maybe aren't interested in dating or interested in relationships or don't have empathy or don't know how to you know engage in that but that's not true you know a lot of people really do want those same things and just don't know how to go about it and a lot of people don't talk to them about it so i think it's just realizing right. that 
just ask, you know, everybody's different. So there's not just one thing that we're looking at when we see, oh, this person has autism. And in our class, we really have people that, you know, might never go out on a date by themselves. You know, they might never have, you know, the opportunity to go to a social group like, you know, Katie did and meet somebody. But then we also have people who do go out and do those things. So it's such a range, but everybody has whatever it is that they're looking for. Just like people not on the spectrum, you know, when it comes to dating and sexuality, like we see, you know, that's a spectrum too. So it's just realizing, you know, everybody's a unique human and, you know, the diagnosis at the end of the day is a label to help understand certain things, but it doesn't mean that you can't date or that you don't want to. I like what you said about that, you know, we don't know what autism looks like. I've gotten so many times um, that, oh, you're, but you're so beautiful and you were in a sorority and that's your, your beauty and those facts are, that's not what autism looks like. And just, you know, your looks like, and, you know, perceptions of beauty does, does not correlate with if you have autism or not. Those two things do not go together, but I find it fascinating how many times I've been told that. And um, yeah, like I am very much interested in dating. Um, You know, I I did start dating later, but like you said, um, people with autism, they they do wanna have those relationships. It's just that we might need a little bit more supports, like the classes that are available at Unicorn Children's Foundation. We just need more support and um, to, to take it at our own pace, because I think people with autism often compared to our neurotypical peers, especially in the age of social media. And we're like, oh, everyone in their 20s, they're, it's, it's, I'm 26 and oh my God, it's babies and marriages on <laughs> Facebook and Instagram. And when is that gonna be for me? But hey, if it's in your 30s, 40s, 50s, who cares? Age doesn't have to be a defining factor on if or when you will find love. And I think that's the most important thing to remember and don't compare yourself dropping so much knowledge. (laughs) I love it. Thank you, Katie and Allie as well. Lastly, Allie, I'll start with you. Would love to know how people can learn more about Unicorn uh, Children's Foundation. Also your dating and relationships 101, connect with you, social media, all the things. (laughs) Yes. So Unicorn Children's Foundation is of course on Facebook. Um, We have our website where you can go to see all the different classes that they have specifically dating and relationships, as well as the 101. And now we have the second level. And if you want to get in touch with me specifically, I, you know, am part of the Remarkable Club. That's our, uh, that's my company that we do the class through. And um, we are available at hello at remarkableclub.com or just remarkableclub.com is our website and we would love for people to check us out or to reach out and to ask about joining the class or any of our other classes and we do everything you know from individualized one-on-one you know to the groups and the classes so uh, please find us on Facebook and uh, send us a message we'd love to hear from you awesome and Katie is there a way people can get in touch with you yeah so after my late diagnosis of autism I really felt it was important to educate everyone about you know what autism looks like and how it presents in women and girls and so you can find me on instagram at autistic.thegreeklife so um send me a message there or you know follow and um i look forward to getting in touch with everyone 
Awesome. That's great. I'll make sure to link to all that below in the show notes as well so everyone can easily find it. You both shared some really, really great information and thanks for being so open and just enlightening with us with your experiences and knowledge. So thank you. Thank you thank so you. much, Tamika. Happy Valentine's Day. <laughs> Happy, Happy Valentine's, Valentine's Day. Day. You know, sometimes that information, those things aren't things that we think about if we're not directly impacted by autism. But it's great to know that programs like that exist and there are a lot of resources here in South Florida. So make sure you go below, find out more about Unicorn Children's Foundation, connect with our guests who are on today. And hey, you know, maybe even go ahead, donate, give back to such a great organization doing great things for those who truly need those services. So. Also, if you're not connected with me, I don't know why not yet, I'm all the places. I'd love for you to subscribe on YouTube, turn on notifications, also connect with me on LinkedIn. You can find me everywhere else because you know what? I'd hate for you to miss out. We come back each and every week with new episodes and I wouldn't want you to miss out, but until I see you back next week, because I know I'll see you then, stay happy, stay healthy. <laughs>